Poetry Night. everybody we're gonna get started here uh, if, uh, yes thank you Let, let's keep that spirit going let's get Scott Casey up here to introduce the evening Scott Casey hello uh, I'm Scott Casey and welcome to the Ken Warfle Fellowship Awards uh, this is amazing it's Beautiful sense of community, and I think the award was established to uh, support that and to emphasize that and to honor uh, community, especially the poetry community here in Bellingham, which is amazing. Um, I wanted to, one of the people that was most influential in my life and who acted as a um, it's a sort of mentor and spirit and a source of inspiration and guidance was a man named Charles Jones. And it seemed appropriate to me uh, in the spirit of, of Kin and the war that was established in his name uh, that I would just read a, a few short poems of his. Uh, sort of in a, it, again, once again, in like the spirit of community and that sense of mentorship and guidance. Um, now, the first one's called Mayfield. So it was on the train to Mayfield. Celebrated birthdays. Conductors standing straight and tall and all the rolling earth. And there we stood and we heard the choir. We saw the people dancing. And I said, let's take the next stop. And you nodded absently. And we got off in hiding, and we walked the streets together, and a light rain was falling, and the prophets on the street corners were calling out your name. And the house was cold and dark, but open with crosses made of birch and twine, hanging above our bed, and the covers kicked away, revealing you to me, and now my thoughts are drifting remembering a memory and what you asked of me. Have you made up your mind? I've already decided I'm staying here in hiding until I can really get away. And the broken shutters swinging woke me up the next morning. And then I heard you singing from underneath your pillow and the stars outside were shining with such intensity that we took our time awakening to say our goodbye. And at the station we stood apart, afraid of retribution. For here's the sign, and here's the lie, that this will last forever. And I watched you from the window. I'm going on to Mayfield while I still can. Thank you. 
Charles Jones. Um, the next one, and I, the next one is called Hummingbird. Hummingbird lullaby and sweet apple wine. The days have grown cold and I can't seem to find my way out of this darkness that surrounded my life. Hummingbird lullaby and sweet apple wine. A ribbon and a rose and an old photograph. I sit on the curb and I can still hear her laugh. Inside my memory, it's all that I have. A ribbon and a rose and an old photograph. A rowboat on a river and the stars up above. I lay down and drift down away from my love. Who waits in the garden? Is it me she dreams of? Or a rowboat on a river and the stars up above? Three teeth of silver and the old laughing bone. I've traveled for years trying to find my way home. And I've sat in the garden, but I still feel alone. With three teeth of silver and the old laughing bone. Thank you. And the final one is called Blues for a Dead God. Blues for a dead God who's haunting the sky. It's a poem for a broken man with no reason why. There's blood on these bones. They're dancing in the grave. Living is just dying a little longer every day. God ain't nothing but a monster ghost. I think it's love that I'm going to miss the most. And a word for a woman who opened her chest. She gave me her heart and said, forget all the rest. Like the English language slipping out of its skin. I was speaking in tongues before I knew it was a sin. I said I wanted it, but I didn't know the cost. I think it's love I'm going to miss the most. So whisper in my ear when I'm deep in the grave and hold me in your arms every night that you pray. Dance with my bones in the darkness of these times. Throw my skull on the fire and let it burn bright. God ain't nothing but a monster ghost. I think it's love I'm going to miss the most. Thank you very much. Oh, big thanks to Scott Casey, and as well to uh, Sarah Gooden, who is playing music for us, and everybody else who has helped with uh, putting this together. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. Right, remember to bring my prepared material with me. I struggle to write in thoughts, in sentences, in words. But I understand only the hiss of the S, the blub of B, staccato gunfire of T, the whale carcass on the sand, a single letter, a market bombed in Baghdad, a ruined syllable. Dead on the shore, what can the whale explain? Can it measure the weight of vanished glaciers, the flammability of toxic water? Can it recite the alphabet of extinction? Complicit in the treason of certitude, myopic throb of greed, we copy and paste prayers, photoshop our imperfections, airbrush the visceral ooze from the whale's flank, invent an ornate calligraphy of numb disregard. Caught in the twisted umbilicus of despair, 
I petition for more letters. And that's Inscription by Judy Kleinberg, the lady that we've invited here tonight to honor with this Tainuafa Fellowship. Yes, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep developing this theme that is coming out tonight. I do a, a regular column in the Waccamash newspaper, and I started off with this quote. It is by John F. Kennedy. When power leads man toward arrogance, poetry reminds him of his limitations. When power narrows the area of man's concern, poetry reminds him of the richness and diversity of existence. When power corrupts, poetry cleanses. And so that is the spirit here that invests and informs this event that uh, we are we have this tool and this opportunity, and we are going to use our powers for good. So, right? And uh, as uh, we stated on our webpage, we want to reward someone for making poetry great and making great poetry. That's what we've done tonight. Uh, and it's, it has been, as you can tell, it has been kind of a process. Some of it's developed at the very last minute. And yet it all just comes together, comes together. It come together, it does things together. <laughs> and as I have just demonstrated there, it is not the efforts of one person alone. There, uh, and it's been a big process. There were a lot of people involved. I'm going to take a few minutes to introduce you to our judges. And if you want to hold your applause to short bursts, then we can work through the cra uh, work through this crew in a timely manner. Our first judge lives in Bellingham, Washington, where she spends her time with loose and bound pages and six children. As a child herself, her father built a 150 million volt Tesla coil in the living room. Angela Belcaster is still working on that poem. Do we, if we have an Angela Belcaster, would you just raise your hand for a moment and let you know you are here. We, have, we might not have an Angela Belcaster, but we still love Angela Belcaster, and thank you for participating. Wherever you are, Angela, listening to this podcast. Born in an avocado orchard under the wing of a dragon, this Capricorn begs, plays, seeks, worships, denies, and is devoted to the muse. She speaks cedar and raven. We have C.J. Prince with us tonight. Thank you, C.J. Poet, painter, anthropologist, whose writing is often inspired by her adventures, Dr. Carol McMillan lives gratefully in Bellingham where she participates in writing groups and reads at many local events. Do we have Carol with us tonight? No. We have Carol with us in spirit. Thank you, Carol. Not everybody was able to make it tonight. Um, our uh, 2014 fellow, Sarah uh, uh, Brickman, yes, thank you, Sarah Brickman, is on the East Coast. She had wanted to come and give us her words of encouragement in this crazy undertaking, but she was not able to make it. So Sarah Brickman also in the distance. Um, a member of Independent Writers Studio, Village Books Poetry Group, and the Senior Activity Center Personal Writing Group. He has attended the Peace Vigil since 9-11, I'm assuming of 01. Jim Milstead. Is Jim with us? Jim, thank you, Jim. 
Born July 12, 1943, the same day and month, but not year, as Julius Caesar. He has published, I know, that would be a good trick, his own literary magazine, as well as belonged to a professional writer's group and has written and published magazine articles and essays as a newspaper columnist, Michael Bradley. Do we have Michael Bradley with us tonight? We do not have Michael Bradley. It was me when scary. Michael Bradley, thank you, Michael Bradley. He's been a machinist, welder, tech writer, gunsmith, toolmaker, a chief engineer of a 2,250-ton destroyer, manufacturing engineer, vocational instructor, university professor, and an ESL teacher after his retirement. Um, published in too many places for me to list here, Malcolm Kenyon. Do we have Malcolm Kenyon? Malcolm Kenyon is with us in spirit. Uh, this global nomad and reader happily offers librarian assistance at the Bellingham Public Library and the Wacom Community College Library. Suzanne Carlson Brandini is with us in spirit also. <laughs> so we have a lot of ghosts judging this thing for us. Lots of spirits. Uh, people we have here in flesh, our, our physical board, are Dobby Reese Norris. He's done some magic for us. Dr. Gary Wade in the back, who is also kind of our uh, poetry's unofficial photographer. We'll get to making him the official one yet. Lori Demery, also in back. Tom Davis, hiding in the shadows. And last but certainly not least, Tiffany Goudreau. And that's Aaron. So... That's a lot of names. We've had a lot of people working on this for a while. It started in 2012. We do it every two years. We're going to do it again. Not next year. Oh, thank God, not next year. But the year after that. And we do this to honor Ken Warfell, who was a fantastic man. He did fantastic things all in the name of poetry. To give you more of those details, I'd like to invite his daughter, Linda Quintana, forward, who will also be presenting the giant check to Judy when that uh, when we get to that point. I'm, I'm getting ahead. Let us now welcome Linda Quintana to the stage. And thank you, Linda. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. I do love poetry readings. It is one of the things I think I was raised on, was either poetry readings or laundromats. That's the two <laughs> things that we got out of um, being homesteading up in Alaska. It was my father's dream to go up there and live and build a home with no thought of where the resources or income would come from, but let's just follow a dream and live in a tent for a while with five kids. So that was our big social outing. Was we went to poetry readings at least so once every two weeks and laundry about the same thing. So to this day, I do love going to a laundromat and just casing out the people and seeing who goes to laundromats. <laughs> pretty interesting. But I will say thank you again. I love being around poets and the creativity that is in the air. I can just feel it in everyone. And I do thank my father for giving me that spirit of following dreams and being creative and for my love of books and words. That is something that I see so often lost with all the technology that's come around. When we graduated from high school, we all got dictionaries. 
And that was something I just love to this day. I'm a book collector, and any book on words or anything that I can see with the, like the sources, that I just love. And I know my kids probably hated it in school because we'd be writing a paper, and I'm like, oh, let's haul out all the thesaurus and all the books and the word-finding books and find the correct word for your paper. But it does make it interesting. There are so many words that are not used in our language, and um, it makes life very nice when someone can look through these books and just read and to feel paper. You know, I just love the feel of paper. When I go make, to make the decision to buy a book, that's one of my things to feel paper. Let me do this book. Do I like it? So my father was a dreamer, and I think probably a lot of poets are because poetry doesn't often bring in a big paycheck. So we usually need something on the side to help you go along in life. So that's how we ended up in Alaska. He had a dream to go up there. And that became a lot of work. It was a lot of firewood you had to cut for 50 below, and that was just too much. And then a lot of his friends and poets at the University of Alaska left and came down to the lower 48, so he said, oh, let's just all leave. It's time for us to leave, too. And he always wanted to be a fisherman. So he said, oh, will be a fisherman. So then he came down here to be a fisherman, and that's a lot of work, too. So that lasted a couple of years. You know, and then you realize, oh, there's nets to repair. You've got to you know, go out in stormy seas, and that was a little bit too much. And so then he, he and my mother went to Portugal and had some really good coffee over there. So he decided to start serving the people here good coffee and chocolate. So then he started doing a little coffee stand. He had the original little galu, he called it, because it was the Portuguese state bird. It's a big rooster. And he made this little coffee cart, and he would haul it around downtown, and he had to talk to Puget Sound Energy because it was so high. You had to just take certain streets under the water. People couldn't understand in those days, why do I want to spend $3 on a cup of coffee? Which now, you know, is nothing. People do that quite a bit. So he was quite an inventor and a dreamer. And I just, I just love that too, the idea of to follow your dreams. He's always told me that if you follow your dreams, you'll be really good at whatever you do. Because that's really what comes from the heart. So, if that note, I do want to read a couple of poems. And this one I was thinking about, it just really reminds me a lot of him of how he loved little details in life. Just the color of a flower or just the taste of a good piece of chocolate or homemade bread. You know, just those really nice things in life, that little bit that makes you feel good. This is a poem that's called Come On. Let's go out and search for berries. Sure, there may be thorns, that we may savor something sweet. And after we eat, let's get the boat and pull some pots for crabs. No, the day is pretty calm, so we can go out to the reef and jig. Maybe it's our day for cod, too. I was surprised we did all that. We fried the fish with onions, and the flesh quivered in the pan it was so fresh. We sucked the juice from the shells of the crab, and we pulled some annoying thorns from each other's hands. Did we find something to say? Well, stretched out on the back deck as we were, watching the dark sky move back and forth and back and forth, across the boat, each in our own time, we seemed to feel we were not at an end here, and let it go. 
The little things that he, if you knew him personally, you know that he, sometimes people thought he was like really annoying or something. Now, why would he come and give me this nice piece of chocolate and let it's loaded with cayenne pepper from my tongue? Because he wanted to see your reaction. He likes to see reactions in people and, and how they would feel. So he would get little bars of French soap and put them in little satin bags and take them to little bank tellers or someone at the grocery store, the checkout person, and just hand them to them. Like these random acts of kindness before it was a big deal. And just to see, like, oh, you're giving me something? Some people didn't know how to accept that. You know, but it was, he liked to evoke emotion within people. And that was something that's often subdued in our society. People don't often like to see a lot of emotion. The other thing it is, he dug up his whole front lawn and put in several varieties of lavender. So he could do the same thing, make little bundles of lavender and just randomly give them out to him. And just this little bit of beauty, and it was the artist in him. He loved to be creative. I don't think we had a real square door in our house. Everything was rounded or rounded windows. Or our house in Alaska that he built was a circle, which was great because when we got in trouble, we could outrun them when they tried. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd all be running in circles. <laughs> or he, and one of his side jobs was a sanitary service, you know, garbage collector. In the fancy way, <laughs> uh, so he'd bring home, like, oh my gosh, loads of stuff. And so when we had a big bear hide, we had a lion's head. And we had a bear hide up in Alaska. We had it on the backside of a wall, and he loved to throw these big parties. We had really big New Year's parties, and all the um, professors from the University of Alaska would come out, and we lived way out of town, so most would spend the night. But we'd um, lead them all, put them back into the circle, and they'd be this big bear. It was scared of the death because we could just, you know, not a ton of wine in there. Well, we always thought it was funny. And then we'd have pillow fights with them and throw pillows and those people. Because you realize when you're way out, we were probably 25, 30 miles out of town, no neighbors for five miles. All of a sudden, there's people in your life. You could see five kids when we had these bedrooms that he made bunk beds built in, but windows up like about six feet up in the air. So then we'd crawl up and we'd be peeking on them and we'd be shooting They liked us. All the people really liked us and it was really fun. But um, it is, if there's one thing I would think that my father would like to see is people doing more of what they love to do. To really follow that and what fulfills your soul. What really makes you um, makes life to the fullest because really whatever time you have here you know to really put out that good energy of how you feel and to do goodness to other people and to share really creates a ripple effect and he really believed in that and i think that's why he loved poetry he was a very sensitive person and really aware of what people would, would think and to create emotion so I, I thank you all again i know a lot of you are probably poets and writers, and it's, it really is a special spot in our society at this day and age to be a poet. But there's another poem that I'd like to read you, and this has to do with my mother and my father. So my mother was a potter at certain times in her life. She was obviously, you know, brought in the income a lot up in Alaska and at different places, kept the most steady job in the family, which created a lot of words flying through the air at different 
sometimes, or they would steal all your money from the other side. But, um, the pottery was really good for her, and I thought this poem was really interesting. So this is called, I, I've Never Told You. I am jealous of your constant tending to your garden, your preening, crawling on your knees, weave to weave between the rows, crawling? I have never been so close to the ground. I am jealous of your art, the clay you knead and knead as if, as if it's bread, and then spin it into something useful that someone will pay you for, while my art is difficult to get away. I am jealous of all your flowers. You have so many I've never seen. The way you frolic in freezing water while I remain frozen on the shore, yet you are so warm when I hold you. Sometimes I wish we had met to meet, and you lived across the street. I could then dream about you and wish I had a woman like you to tease me with that first red spring strawberry. So that's what I have for you. And now I get to tell you where. What's that? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Now I get to um, introduce the woman who is the recipient of this year's fellowship. Which I think is so neat. I didn't really put the name together with the person because I've met you a couple times this past summer. But when I was at home for the last couple of weeks after I'd been thinking about, you know, this fellowship and giving something, I thought, well, wouldn't it be neat if it was somebody local? Jeez, here it is. So that's so cool. She's local. So I'm glad she got it. So here's a little bit that I'll tell you about her. Um, and, I mean, she has so much that she's done. So I'll, I'll just give you some nice little highlights here. And she is a writer and an editor. She's a poet and an artist. And she also writes a daily general interest protein blog with a Cascadian slant, whatever that means, Cascadian, I guess, in the Northwest. Um, and it includes more than 2,000 posts and a 12-month calendar. She produces a daily personal blog. And she conducts workshops and presentations on found poetry, including the 2016 Poetry Prowl in Ellensburg, the Whatcom Land Trust in Bellingham, and the Sue Boynton Poetry Contest workshop in Bellingham. She is a participant in two poetry groups. So that's like a full-life job writing poetry. She's co-editor of Noisy Waters, the poetry from Whatcom County. She co-produces the poetry reading series, Speak Easy and is an invited member of the Poetry Chat Committee, a group at Western Washington University. And she's former chair of the Sue Boynton Poetry Contest Committee. And she's mayor of the, and she's winner, winner of the Mayor's Arts Award 2016. That is so cool. So Judy, go ahead and let's come up here.
Dad's last book, The Fine Hotel. Thank you so much. And that's Thank a you. nice copy to have. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. So now I hope you're going to read. I am going to read. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to let, can we, can we give this back to Boris? Sure. So I don't do anything dangerous. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. This is lovely. <clears throat> so thank you all for being here, and thank you to the committee, the judges, the poetry community, my friends, all of you. It's lovely, lovely to be here. So I'm going to completely ruin the lovely mood that has been established here by reading the following poem. Luther, you can put your fingers in your ears. Recipe for curse served warm. This is a family recipe that's passed down from my mother, whose enemies were numerous, beginning with her brother. For bowls, we think that black is best, but red is fine, and if not red, then porphyry or cinnabar or coal will do quite well instead. Do not be tempted by your tools, mallet, cleaver, blowtorch, flail, or fall to careful measuring with cup or spoon or pinch or scale. But into bowls heap steaming mounds of fear. I'm sure you know the type, the airplane plunging from the sky, the truck that breached the center stripe, the taps and rattles in the dark, the tainted meat, the parasites, the dinner date with Donald Trump. <laughs> we recommend a dash of greed and something sour to set the taste. And if you have some handy lies, you shouldn't let them go to waste. A little bitterness is good to help the flavors activate. Then dump it in your Cuisinart and set it on obliterate. <laughs> Though brood of every vile fear, this would not be a proper curse if you should keep it to yourself to wrangle into treacly verse. My mother said this swill would last with no need to preserve it. Just heat it up and fill a cup for those who most deserve it. Thank you. So, please, how about just hold your applause until I'm done? Um, so, as long as we've brought up the subject of my mother, little story, my mother thinks that she wants a wristwatch. Her vision diminished. She can't see well enough to read the time. And the talking watches are awful, I tell her. They announce the time in voices like chipmunks. Speaking of chipmunks, she says, your hair looks very nice. <laughs> Discovered. From the Pacific Ocean... The land sprawled eastward, wide and flat, crossed by dry stream beds and arroyos carved by twice-a-century rainstorms, gullies roughened with dust-coated weedy scrub that sheltered small brown lizards. 
The hills heaved from that unpromising plain, oily green, sage-scented, parched by fickle seasons that promised relief and delivered none. We settled there, bewitched by the sky and the thundering shore, by perfumed orange groves felled as neighborhoods bullied their way into bouquet branches, all shoulders and boot prints, unforgiving. Just once it snowed, and occasionally the ground would rupture in displeasure as we clung uselessly to door frames, the doors bruising our hips in their undulant dance. We wrote letters to pen pals in places we had not yet invaded, and saw how astronomers envisioned space travel in the little book we bought at the observatory after sitting under the dome of the star-struck sky. We could pretend the ever-present shushing rumble of cars was really the sea, and even when the seashells and the pelicans vanished from the water's edge, we never blamed our hunger, our eagerness to erase the landscape's flaws and our own, to be made perfect to be discovered at the lunch counter of desire. Alley. The alley has gone to hell. Garages belching robot grunge and failed steampunk rust. In between, a green sprawl of pumpkins and watermelons lines the fence and spills over the tops of compost bins. An airstream that has seen too many rivers, aluminum foil peeling from yellowed windows, is raised on cinder blocks to shade hunkering cats. Over there, they've given up on the bamboo, or maybe given over, letting it claim the steps, the deck, the front door, and back. The automatic light switch, a feeble gesture of occupancy. And Jim's fence, well, he probably isn't going to replace it this year. Just prop it again and let it lean and sink deeper into the grass. Chickens mutter in their wire pens, narrating the afternoon, as a single crow monitors my progress up the alley, swooping low and loud just above my head. On these hot weekends, with the buzz of lawnmowers and the talk of baseballs from the park. I like to remember winter, to recall the tree-cracking winds of November, and how the light shines upward from the ground on those rare and welcome days of snow. Wizard, one, tuned to shadow, fletched with silence, quiver of stealth. What genius to hear the precise angle of breath, to calibrate hunger, weigh attention, gauge the advantage of surprise, feathers silent as a knife brushing the cheek, talons grasping the throat with awe. Two, Perched in plain sight, cloaked with invisibility and ventriloquism, the owl offers no flourish, 
No magician's fanned wing of playing cards. Until the rabbit, yanked in limp wonder from a brushed top hat of long grass. The snake, a writhing wand of silken scarves. At the laundromat with Pablo Picasso. A true story. Mariachi music blasts from the AM radio, bolted to the top of the soap dispenser. Pablo is stripped down to his white shorts and canvas shoes. He wheels a wire laundry basket around and around the island of washing machines. He stops at the bulletin board, calls to me, Come here, cariña. Pablo removes all the notices from the board and sets them in my outstretched hands. He tears shapes from the ads and flyers and business cards and in a moment has pinned them back onto the board into something that looks like a bowl of fruit. When the dryer stops, we pile the warm laundry, the red towels, the pink sheets and socks into the wire basket. Pablo pulls out a red bath towel and shakes it to one side and then the other, saying, Hey, Toro, Toro. He grabs his shirt, the navy stripes now purple and the white stripes pink, and wraps it around his head in a turban. I just want to get my laundry folded. But Elvis is on the radio singing Love Me Tender. Pablo waltzes me around the washing machines, our feet scritching on the gritted linoleum. The turban makes him seem taller. He tells me I am beautiful, he, that he wants to paint me, that I am his perfect model. He is kind. He says nothing about my eyes, seems not to notice they are both on the same side of my nose. <laughs> Good to laugh. Wing light. A bird's long glide measures the stance of trees, prominence of crags, altitude of islands. In catenary curve, it drops and rises again, each wing beat a coin in nature's economy. 112 bones, pneumatic as constellations, crane, crow, dove, eagle, swan, 10,000 uncharted miles, five years at sea in albatross time. Moonlight, the first language, plumed aeronaut, mapping the edges of shadows. Angle, turn, and swoop of pen. What can be written of oceans by sine and cosine of wing? From sand-scooped, down-clad nest, veiled in vespers darkening blush. What aching voice shall rise, soar, set to warn the air? Ten thousand nights of rising seas, home a fissure in the echo of darkness. 
another little mother story, wondering, as my mother's vision and other faculties diminish, she continued to draw and occasionally to write. Yesterday, I opened an art book and found, tucked inside, a note scrawled on a bit of scratch paper in her wayward and broken script. It says, I'm wondering if memory is something you remember or something you forget. The familiar. I have come to love the shadow, the scar in the flesh, the black lick of flame on stucco, symbols scratched in tortoise shells. The shadow comprehends the underside of things, recalls the face of grief in the oval mirror on the bureau, wallpaper scorched and peeling above the stove, the dog's bowls pushed into the corner, empty. The shadow sculpts darkness to fit inside the suitcase, the brown shoe on its side in the closet. In the stained photograph, it reveals the man who held the camera. The shadow is not impartial. For the key, it describes the lock. For the flame, it impersonates the cinder. For breath, it depicts the grave. Raven widow, somnambulist moon, grain of pepper in the teeth. I have come to bless the shadow for the way it knows the precise dimension of light. One day, one before sunrise, I wake to the sawing honk of geese over the house. I repeat the donkey bray of their call, watch for magenta flooding into dawn-lit crabapple blossoms, admire the punctuated chatter of chickadees, ellipses of lemony tulips. Two, from the middle of your poem, I borrow the taste of the ocean. I dip a spoon of brine, raise it to my mouth to tongue its brackish broth, repeat each mollusk madrigal, rinse my body's restless shore with salted words. Three, I cannot name the afternoon's blue mystery or speak her language. I return to stone because it is what I am, to dust because it made the stone, to water that urged the dust, light that guided water, and darkness because it understands the worn petroglyphs of memory. Four, each evening I fill an old bucket with shadows and carry it home. Shoulder bent forward with its weight, I pour darkness into corners under chairs and table, in cupboards and bookshelves, beneath my narrow bed, penumbra of the day's lost beginnings. Five, though I know little of faith, I can make a prayer by calling its name. Where birds nest in downy dark, 
I kneel in a tangle of words, fold into languid quiet, listen for rain that whispers the name of the holy night, wafer on the tongue of dreams. And I'm going to close with this important piece of news. For immediate release, an underreported story out of Iowa disclosed this week that for nearly a decade, technology companies have been working in secret to ready the first self-writing poem. Known as Autonomous Verse, AV, the metaphor-fueled system promises to be a branding goldmine for corporations eager to put their imprint on villanelles, sonnets, and pantoons. We anticipate a heated marketplace in naming, says a Potec broker speaking on condition of anonymity. We've already had massive buys from aerospace and communications companies planning huge image-building campaigns. While the president has expressed optimism, Occupy Poetry protest groups have disrupted open, open mics and book signings, claiming loss of income and ruined reputations. MFA programs will be decimated, said one bearded dissident whose placard read, Autonomous equals anonymous. Government regulators have urged caution, insisting the public will not comply with the necessary waivers designed to assure that users are not injured by untested poems, especially during the development phase. While an industry survey found that consumers are rather clueless about it all, Potec investors call AVs a life-saving, labor-saving breakthrough and scoff at those who claim old age and drunkenness have never been barriers to writing poems. <laughs> it will never happen in our lifetime, says one baby boomer. We should just leave the monkeys alone with their typewriters. <laughs> Thank you, Judy. Uh, okay, I'm going to finish off here with a few final thoughts. Uh, Linda reminded us of the ripple effect. And uh, we here, as you can, as you may have gathered, um, we kind of conduct things maybe a little haphazardly, maybe a little slapdash. Maybe, maybe that's all just illusion. But uh, the important thing is that we all had this vision, this commitment, this goodwill to do a particular thing and just committed to it and kept putting one foot in front of the other. And that's the same kind of ripple effect. It has the same kind of ripple effect. We're all, each one of us, we are stones throwing ourselves into the ocean. Every day we get out of bed to do things. We just happened to have aimed our particular ripple at getting this Ken Warfell fellowship thing done. And, you know, 
that's all it's that's all it is. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other, folks. We can all do this. And as we ripple ourselves back out the door, putting one foot in front of the other, getting ourselves home, I would like to remind you that we do have a table in back. It has it has a wonderful panoply of cookies. There is uh delicious munchings and there are drinks and there's also significantly a uh, donations jar which is how we pay for things like this and our touring poets and other projects that we put one foot in front of the other to get to so i'm going to encourage you all to visit that stuff there's also a guest book i think in that back corner by lori and uh, do please leave uh, a message to let uh, Judy know, you know, let her know you were here and that you thought it was great. And she already knows that, I'm sure, but it would not hurt to have something like that to look back on 20, 30 years ago. Oh, I remember those days. Okay, uh, there are also flyers. I don't remember hearing Judy mention that, but um, Judy has an event, workshops coming up, and there are flyers for those in back on the side table. Okay, so please do check out that. Um, poetry night. This coming Monday, two days from now, we have our feature is, will be Natalie Fedak, who I, okay, so the picture we posted of her is effing glorious. She is a battle maiden with a freaking sword, and I don't know what that's going to be about, but I am really looking forward to it. Um, we're not going to have anything on Halloween, because yeah, Halloween. Enough said. And on November 7th, we're going to be having the Poem Store, which is, um, uh, I think, the brainchild of Erica Reed and Natalie, who will be coming back again. So these are some things that we'll be doing. We're based out of the Bellingham Public Library in the lower floor, back entrance, fountain entrance, as we try to class it up. So thank you, Judy. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, all our staff and volunteers and all everybody who came out tonight to show up for this wonderful thing. Thank you all, and uh, keep coming back. Can we not have anything that I've said this evening be on the podcast? My dog is coming back.